All right, y'all, what is going on? This is your man, L. Jamal, coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place we can say what you want, as long as you got them facts. We have a few things to get into, uh, ranging from, of course, California elections uh, to the college football world. Uh, some big news coming on, well, some big games coming on this weekend. Uh, we're also going to get into some Thursday night football, as well as an update on the MLB playoffs. Uh, if you haven't yet, please be sure to follow me on Instagram, L. Jamal. 791. I'll be leaving that link available for you guys in the description for the episode. And please check me out on YouTube as well. Uh, the same name, uh, Never Out of Bounds. Uh, check out my most recent project, Scratch a Lie, Find a Thief. Uh, basically, the story and the chronicle, uh, kind of a chronological story of all the bullshit going down with uh, Brett Favre and the shit going on in Mississippi with all those welfare funds. So please, if you haven't, please check that out. Give that uh, a like. Uh, it's doing some decent numbers right now so please uh do anything you can to support or that you'd like to do uh but tonight like i said we'll be getting into a few different things ranging from the political world all the way into some sports college sports all that so let's just go ahead and get into it like i mentioned before uh election time is upon us november 8th to be exact and uh of course all around the country you have these different senate races going on we have these races for governor uh, of course california has some things going on this see this year as well of course we have the governor's race uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, spot is up. The Secretary of the State is spot uh, spot is up for grabs uh, tonight. I'll be talking about the um, the U.S. Senator race, uh, the Governor's race, and uh, also some of these propositions as well. So uh, let's get, start off with the propositions. A few of the major ones, at least. A uh, big one, of course, is Prop One. Uh, this is having to do with. Uh, you know, of course, abortion rights. And what Prop 1 aims to do uh, is pretty much protecting the right to productive freedom. That's, of course, in the, you know, the layman's terms. Uh, they, of course, want to keep uh, the current rights, uh, you know, going at a few more things. Uh, they want to kind of make California, uh, particularly, I've said, I've heard this kind of being said uh it's sort of in a roundabout way from Gavin Newsom and the rest of California Democrats as though they want to make this some type of abortion sanctuary state. Now, uh, is abortion necessary? I believe that it is in cases such as a woman's health. Uh, her life is online. I think in terms of examples of, you know, you know, you know, the, the sexual assault of the ser most serious kind is what I'll call it. And then, of course, you know, the incest, right? So these are all cases in which I feel like it is necessary. Uh, it prevents certain, you know, of course, death uh, for the woman in certain cases. So there's there's times in when it's beneficial. beneficial. There's also times in which it can be somewhat of a problem. Of course, we have this issue with late-term abortions. And, of course, who funds, you know, you know, eventually who funds these abortions. Now, with um, with all that being said, California already, I believe, uh, yeah, uh, they already fund or they've increased funding for abortion, uh, all that related shit for about $200 million. So you already have the infrastructure here to do that. Uh, of course, you know, we have, you know, already kind of like an infrastructure of laws if you want to call it that uh about late-term abortions regarding these things already so the, the the thing is they're legal here 
Uh, we would also like to do, like I said, like I said, with the making this a so, somewhat of a sanctuary state, is what the state is, is saying is, okay, we notice that these other states are going to close this ability off for these other women. And what we're going to do as California is open our, you know, freedoms up to all the rest of these people. That sounds all great on paper, but you got to remember, it's going to come out of the taxpayer's pocket. Now, I mentioned in cases in which I'm totally, I'm t I understand in which, you know, abortion is needed. With that being said, I will say, uh, I still, th it's also a woman's choice, you know, what she wants to do with her body. And you can't force her, I guess, if she doesn't want to have a baby or whatever. I, I don't, you know, I don't want to say the wrong things per se. But I also feel like this. It's one thing for the taxpayers to, you know, fund it or, you know, it to be covered under Medicare and, and things of that nature. State provided health care for instances that I mentioned before. You know, it could cause death upon you know it could call it you know it was this childbirth is being caused by some type of like i said sexual assault to the highest extent you know what word i'm referring to i don't really want to drop it here and then of course incest now for those cases if those are you know what's going on i don't mind you know medicaid or you know tax you know a taxpayer fund being used to cover that but if we're just saying somebody's immature not ready to have a kid I'm sorry, that shouldn't be on the taxpayers. And then which you're also encouraging by, you know, opening these laws up to everybody else is for people to come across the state to the state line and do the same thing with our tax dollars. I, I don't think uh, abortion should be that frivolous. You should, they should be given away that frivolously. So already I know I'm ruffling some feathers. It is what it is. Okay. We already provide enough funding for this, for at least for our, the people of our state. There's, it's already accessible even to an extent late-term abortions. What else do we really need here? We've already provided enough here. We've made it legal to an extent. I personally don't, outside of, again, the, the reasons that I mentioned before, I don't think state money should be allocated to abortions now just again for i don't I, I can't raise this kid or i can't no you should have you know made better decisions we, I, I don't think the state should be bailing out people's bad decisions that's just kind of how i feel about it so again i understand you know the state is trying to do something different here and want to make sure people's right but we have to make sure you know we do it the right way again it's open to people in our state this is the problem that you know we've come come to it's, it is what it is. People want, you know, certain governments or certain, you know, factions of the government wants want this to be a state issue. Some want it to be a federal, you know, federal government issue. However, it, however, it's divided. That's still kind of how I feel about it. I don't think the state or the federal government, through our tax dollars, need to fund some people's bad decisions. Now, again, if it's the, if it's the cases that I mentioned before, by all means, yes. But just because I don't want to have a kid, that's where I draw the line. And I think you're just going to have a whole lot more people just not wanting kids and just wanting to just have abortion just for the sake of having them as opposed to just these other reasons, these legit reasons. I'm just, I'm just saying. And uh, let's move on. <laughs> uh, we have Props 26 and Props 27. Uh, both of these are referring to gambling. Uh, 26 specifically is uh, basically allowing, um, you know, more organized gambling. 
uh, such as, you know, roulette tables, dice games, sports wagering, all that type of stuff. It allows uh, people. To, well, and this is the thing, um, you know, like I said, it, it has, you know, well, again, like I said, it, it's bringing in these got dice games, sports wagering, uh, Prop 27. Uh, it's a little bit along the same lines, uh, but that's going more so with the online shit, online sports bettings, basically allowing these these things to happen here. Uh, for, of course, 21 and over, all that, right? This is my problem. This is my problem. I don't know why it's like this in this state. I don't know if other states are like this. Now, I don't have a problem with, you know, Indian tribes, and that's for the native tribes, uh, having access to, you know, casino de development. I don't have a problem with the state giving these groups the right to allow sports betting on these premises. There's also a part of this, particularly with, uh, you know, Proposition 26, that does allow for, you know, wagering at certain horse racing tracks as well. So you have that. But my problem is, why is gambling outside of car games like Oaks Card Room? Why is those why is gambling in casinos restricted to Native American tribes in the first place? And again, no shade. I just don't understand why they get to just be the only ones to capitalize on that in this state. I think that's kind of weird. Um, I think anybody who can get a gambling license, and I think we need to make, I mean, again, I think it's, it's a legit, again, if we're making it legal, then we might as well, you know, expand its accessibility to, to other people. Like, other people should be able to, like Oaks Car Club, for example, should be able to upgrade its facilities to take on dice and slot machines and it shouldn't just have to be a car game place as well it should be allowed to do that as well you and i you know if we have the experience or all the, you know or what goes into that we should be able to apply for for gaming licenses why not if we're making it legal why are we making it legal but then confine it to one group of people again i'm not against them being able to do it I'm just asking, why are these not expanded or these rights not expanded to everybody else either? Why is this exclusive to Native Americans? Maybe I have to do some more history on that and looking into that as well. But again, it just seems to me that anybody, any group of people, any group of investors should be able to come together if they if they can get a gambling license together. And there's a state board that actually oversees that, which it seems like there's going to be that some type of, you know, uh, you know, something along that line we should i mean everybody should be able to have i just I, I again there's nothing wrong uh with the fiscal impact uh of what's going to go on because the state is going to tax uh what goes on and they seem to have a decent uh you know perspective on where they want this shit to go uh they're going to have licensing fees that imposes 10 percent taxes on these revenues uh they want this this these revenues to help fund you know um homelessness programs they also wanted to help out the non the non-casino tribes that's all perfectly fine but why can't the people of any other neighborhood or any other area that are not native american create one 
I'm just, that's all I'm asking. That's my that's a legit question, and I know that it is. I'm not gonna let people uh, dog me out about that. And finally, um, the one of the big uh, another one of the big um, uh, propositions here, Prop Thirty One, and uh, this is basically the banning of the retail sale of flavored of. Uh, you know, tobacco. And of course, everybody's big, big major trigger over the past few years has been these e-cigarettes and has been, you know, whatever. And of course, they want to cut this out. Uh, they want to stop chewing tobacco or prohibit. Yeah, they want to prohibit the sale of certain flavored tobacco products. Uh, and this includes cigarettes, chewing tobacco and snuff. And then also the, the tobacco, whatever. My question is, now, now this excludes, now, this, now the thing is, they want to ban e-cigarettes, that was the trigger word, but it has the nerve to say, well, this is excluding, it will exclude, meaning it's not going to prohibit this, handmade cigars, loose leaf tobacco, not intended for making cigarettes. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, like uh, shisha tobacco products, hookah, all that type. So let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. You want people to smoke certain things, but not other things. All them things don't matter really what it is. It all of the act of smoking, even weed at some point, you know, because of the, the smoking, it has these because, again, you're smoke. It's smoke. So all these things are going to have these same problems. Now, cigarettes, okay, yeah, they have all these different chemicals in them, and that's bad. But the main thing that they're focusing on right now is the e-cigarettes. They have a pro They don't have a problem with Philip Morris. They really don't care about Marlboro. They've been letting Marlboro sell packs of cigarettes for hundreds, for at least 100 years. They can make big Big Tobacco has already made all the money it's going to make. I think this is again it, it, on the surface. It's gonna say uh, not limited to, and they're gonna say they're gonna say certain you know chewing tobacco stuff like that snuff. They're not gonna no. They they want to focus on e-cigarettes for some reason. Why I don't know. It's all about this shit about kids smoking. My question is, I'm gonna ask y'all this: How the fuck are kids getting these hands on these cigarettes in the first first place? And again, how are they picking up these habits? Again, just like with sex, just like with a lot of these things, so learn smoking is a learned behavior. A lot of motherfuckers who ended up smoking spent a lot of time watching other motherfuckers smoke. I'm going to be honest with you. So it sounds all great to say, oh, we're going to take away these cigarettes. My question is, how the fuck are they getting into their hands anyways? And why the fuck are we not finding these these uh, establishments that are getting get you know getting cigarettes into the hand of these children? Because the only way that I can see these motherfuckers getting them, because you you gotta be you gotta have an ID to buy them, right? You gotta be what eighteen to buy cigarettes, right? Okay, so if you if you if you if you go up in a store, any store, any any real clerk should be asking for IDs. Now this shit ain't happening. This protocol is not happening. And that's something that you need to work with the the small businesses for. 
you know, about. You need to talk to them and check them. Because I, I just don't understand. Because, again, you know, this whole e-cigarette thing, they've been I've been seeing all these damn commercials about it. And it's so, it's so oh, my God, they make them so devastating and scary. But I've been seeing motherfuckers smoke. Kids smoke all my life. I was around kids who smoked. Motherfucker, I started, I was smoking blacks in, like, junior, senior year of high school like a dumbass. So it's like, again, it, it, it. You know, you go through it, it's a phase. Again, I know people get all shot, but it's like this whole I mean, again, you can't make e-cigarettes the 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 problem here when everybody has been smoking. Everybody been smoking some type of tobacco product, all type of kids for a long time. I know kids have been you know, breaking down switches and backwoods since high they was in high school. Now, you know, we now now it's a problem because the e-cigarettes. Oh, e-cigarettes made it. Well, maybe because you can order them online and there's no way to really check people's back. Maybe that's what it is. But again, I mean, my question then where are the parents at? In the in the words of Eminem, where are the parents at? I, I couldn't get away with no shit like that in my household. What the fuck? What are you ordering? What is in that box? I mean, come on, like are parents not checking on their kids? Y'all want to I mean, I I, I feel like Sometimes parents do a lot of blaming on other outside factors instead of just saying maybe I need to just step up as a parent and just, you know, take care of it and handle it. Like for one, like don't get me wrong, I feel like the upper echelon pushes certain agendas about sexuality. I'm not going to get into too deep into it right now because we have a whole bunch of things to get into tonight. But, you know, just for example, they might push this and they, they might be in school, but you can, you can very well... Uh, petition to not have certain shit in your school. You can have something called a, a town hall meeting in which you pretty much you put your city officials in that motherfucker and you demand that they do something different or you don't vote for them. That's what we have, and you have to stick to that as a voting base. Uh, again, I know I'm getting to different you know things, but we do a lot of blaming tobacco companies and and and, and outside political figures in the TV for what we can do as parents. There's been blocks on TV. TV for, for, for decades now. You don't want your kids to watch a certain thing. You block it. You block it based on their rating. You look at what the fuck they doing online. You put blocks on that shit. You can all you could have done that. You could have done that for years. So stop trying to blame all these different outside organizations and different groups and power whatever groups whatever to, to make you feel you know okay or adequate with your shortcomings with what you doing. Because you can do a whole lot as a parent to avoid all that, despite what's going on in this world. Because if you making up all it to me, it makes me feel like a lot of parents ain't comfortable or don't feel like they, they style or who they are, their parenting is really going to really translate. That's on y'all that y'all got to figure out. You need to be doing what you need to do to raise your kids. Stop blaming tobacco companies and all that. No, you just keep your kid away from the bullshit and keep keep it in their mind what the deal is. And you, you, you apply consequences as it's as it's, uh, necessary. That's what you do as a parent. Stop blaming everybody. Okay. Let's talk about a few of these, uh, these racers, these... Uh, for these positions. I want to start off uh, with the um, Senate race, uh, California Senate race. Uh, first off, we have Alex Padilla going up against Mark Muser. Uh, Padilla is a career politician uh, elected at age 26 as a member of the LA City Council back in 1989. He would serve until 2006, and on that and on that time and in that time, he would go on to uh, become a state uh, a state. Uh, State Assembly, excuse me. Uh, he would go on to win uh, a win re-election. He would be going to be 
reelected, excuse me, in 2010, winning 70% of the vote. Uh, one of the big things he pushed in that position was the Prop 67, which eventually became, of course, the ban on plastic bags. Ooh. Uh, again, he eventually becomes Secretary of State in 2016, uh, beating out Mouser in 2018, uh, 2018 for his reelection. So this is not the first time he's gone up against Mal uh, Mark Mouser. Uh, he's all familiar with this guy. Uh, now, he has faced some recent controversy uh, for a uh, voting education uh, uh, basically a voting education initiative, which was going to be funded by taxpayers' money. Well, and it was. Uh, and it was completely all partisan, uh, pretty much for Democrats. Uh, you know, with that being said, this is in, this happens in, you know, all the different states. Republicans do the same thing. Uh, for example, one thing that people would, uh, what you won't hear a whole lot about is particularly Republican and Libertarian uh, you know, certain election groups or whatever you want to call them campaign, uh, that they'll actually pay for certain illegal immigrants to become uh, citizens, you know, get them, you know, housing assistance, all for them to vote for that party. This is this is this is something that goes on with both parties. They, they kind of uh, play these little games, you know, disguised as voter education, voter this or, you know, come on and join the join, become a registered voter. But in the in the in the sense of that, she'll bec become a, you know, car carrying voter for that particular party. So, you know, again, it's it's something that happens. But this again, this has happened. You know, this is happening with a Democrat. And so we just got to, you know, be real here and kind of, you know, talk about it. Uh, it was deemed illegal. Uh, the process itself uh, was deemed illegal by the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. Uh, Newsom, however, was still going to sign legislation that would confirm, you know, basically that it would still get some state funds in order for it to to keep rolling. Now, with that being said, uh, Padilla has done his done his fair share to expand uh, voting voters' rights uh, with certain initiatives. So again. He has he has done some positive, but it, it seems like he you know he he even he ain't guilty even he isn't I guess you could say non guilty of of being I guess partisan. So there is some of that there. Uh, he's but he is uh, he does serve on a number of different com committees. Uh, he serves on the committee for the environment and public works, the budget, and also um, I think. Uh, Oh, yeah, the uh, Rules and Administration Committee for the state. So a couple different hats that he wears. So, again, you know, all in a way politically entrenched. We also got, um, like I said, Mark Mauser here. Uh, again, he's a longtime lawyer. Uh, and one of his biggest cases was Gilstrap versus United Airlines in 2013, which basically affirmed that the federal government is permitted or a, sorry, U.S. citizens or disabled U.S. citizens are able to uh, sue uh, any airlines that fail to, you know, uh, fail to care for them, you know, by means of what's, you know, right by the state. So you have that going on there. Uh, he's, uh, he has, again, he has a lot of lawyer experience, again, political experience, you know, take it what you, what you will. A lot of the people that are into these Republican candidates, uh, they don't seem to have a political background and people seem to be okay with that. So, uh, we, you know, we, we have what we have here and, um, again, uh, for, you know, Muser, uh, he's been well, more known for his, you know, attempts to sue Gavin Newsom for all the COVID bullshit for, you know, a lot of stuff. So he's, he's known for that type of stuff outside of that, you know, uh, you know, 
taking what you will. And then of course uh, we have the governor, uh, the governor's race. Uh, we have Gavin Newsom, who we'll talk about in a second, uh, going up against uh, Brian Daly. Now Brian Daly, uh, this is uh, he goes. He has a he's a career politician as well. His career goes all the way back to 1997, uh, where he was elected as a member of the uh, Lassen County Board of Supervisors. He also served as a member of the State Assembly from 2012 to 2019, at, you know, at which point he was re-elected, of course. He also go on to become the minority uh, the leader uh, of the State Assembly as well. He was going to be appointed to Vice Chair of the Assembly of Environmental and Toxic Materials Committee, also the Revenue and Taxation Committee, and the National Resources committee so again another guy here who plays a lot of different hats who you know has been involved in this shit you know for a while and i will say this although i'm not a republican uh through and through of course i don't really go that way i will say in my opinion he's definitely a more qualified candidate uh a more sustainable candidate in my opinion than the the uh, candidate that was on the recall uh your boy larry elder i will definitely say that uh in 2019 he would uh end up becoming a base well he would end up earning a seat in the senate through a special uh special election so again all different levels of this political scale he's been on now some of his campaign promises uh have to it have to do with of course you know cost of living uh, of course this is the, the republican assembly point right now you know high food prices high gas prices they want to they want to take those eliminate those however they think they, they can uh he wants to end up cutting our gas tax uh, about 54 uh, 54 cents of that he wants to cut that uh he claims that'll be a savings of about 15k a year for families on average at uh Californians are paying about five dollars and eighty-three cents for gas. On the uh, on the the national average is about three twenty-five. Now I've done the th the math. Honestly, if you take off the fifty-four cents, which would be our gas tax, uh, that would end up with uh, about five twenty-nine, which would still be above the national average. Now the question is, at that point, now. If that's the case, then why is our gas so expensive? And then I'm going to tell you why our gas is so expensive. Now, there are no true, you know, there's no true real pipeline system in California. So the gas stations are forced uh, to buy gas from the five major families. Excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, oil refineries, including Chevron and Vallejo. Now, Valero, including some more. But of course, but the, the refiners sell oil. Uh, to their branded gas stations for higher prices. Now, uh, professor of business and public policy at UC Berkeley, Severin Borstein, goes on to say the California surcharge uh, is likely related to the fact that there are a small number of very powerful branded refineries that can take advantage of their market share. So anything like this that's going on right now, uh, you know, with you know, they're going to claim that there's, you know, all this uh, supply and demand issues. So the corporations, as I've been said, decide to raise their price. We could blame Biden. We could blame Democrat, uh, Democratic policies. But in reality, this is what corporations control. They control their prices. They will adjust based on what they want, based on their supply and demand. Like we mentioned, there is no real oil pipeline, meaning there's no place in which we draw up oil from the ground. All we do here is pretty much turn the oil that we're getting into the gasoline. 
But again, we play all these higher surcharges more than anybody else. Now, again, even if even by eliminating the gas tax, we don't even eliminate that surcharge. And the surcharge is determined by the five, again, ref oil refinement companies that preside in this area. So there you go. Now, we could sit there and we could argue this, that, and other. I will leave you guys in terms of, of in terms of daily with this. And, this, and this, I got the, you know, the, the voters pamphlet that came in the mail. And, of course, I had to read the, everybody's statement. And uh, he started off his statement with a couple questions. Are you better off uh, now than you were four years ago? And I know my Republican listeners, if I have any, and I know Republicans in general are going to say, no, California is terrible. California is this, that. And I'm going to tell you this. I, I'm going to have to be honest with you from a personal standpoint. And I, I got to speak from a personal standpoint. For me, I am I am better off. My, my I'm just going to be honest. My wages have gone up. My salary has gone up in this time. I've been able to make ends meet. Not even just make it in ways exceeded. Now I don't have kids. I don't have that burden. I don't have to I don't have to provide for another grown ass adult, aka a wife, right now. <laughs> so again, I had those factors positively going for me, right? And I will say, but with that being said though, you know, person like I said, my money has gone up, my situation has improved. I'm just gonna outright say it though. I cannot really say that my improvement or my situation improving is in tandem or is uh, or is, you know, tied to whatever either party or administration did or previously did. What I'm saying is, you know, me kind of stepping up in my life, kind of coming together and being in a spot in which I feel like it's better is not because of Donald Trump presidency that i can't think of one initiative that he passed that affected me personally same thing with biden i've done a whole lot but i can't necessarily say it's because of biden or you know or biden or what he hasn't done i can say that i went to work i pushed myself i picked up whatever skills i could over the different years and it's kind of manifesting itself I'm an opportunity where I can still educate myself. I've already started that years ago. I can still finish it. Uh, I've already found my career path. I've, you know, been employed. But all those are decisions that I've made on my own to do. And again, like I said, you know, I, a lot of what people go through in terms of, particularly if you are a nine to fiver or just have like a, you know, a quote unquote regular job. A lot of your benefits or whatever you get in terms of what your hourly weight, that it's not even so much based on, you know, you know, what the state says or the federal government says. It's based on what the corporation wants to give you or whatever company or the small business that you're working for. It's on what they feel and what your, you know, experience amounts to. So when you look at it like that, it's like neither one of y'all, you or Gavin Newsom really can make my situation better. OK, <laughs> so no disrespect to him, but my situation is better. With that being said, though, I can't say it was because of Biden. No, I went ahead and I went to work and handled whatever business I, I needed to handle. 
So, with that being said, let's move on to Gavin Newsom real quick. Uh, of course, he was survived, you know, uh, recall election against Larry Elder. Uh, everybody wanted to sign the petition to get this shit started, but nobody wanted to vote to get him about it, which was ridiculous. But that's how you know a lot of this just be for drama, just be for cameras, and just for the, the sake of, I don't know, uh, just a lot of drama. Uh, but again, you know, again, he creates some of this drama particularly with the pandemic relief and the unemployment fraud that, of course, he oversaw and didn't really do a whole lot about $30 billion that got swindled, unaccounted for. Uh, that's why, we, in my opinion, that's why we are getting these refunds and these gas rates, gas rebates to kind of say, because, again, they were supposed to give this money back to the federal government, but they're just like, nah, 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 uh, we'll just we'll just give it to the people now. You caught us. We'll just give it all back away. Another big problem here was the 2020 fires. Uh, of course, um, you know, he would originally report that we were fighting these 300-something-plus fires, and this was back in August of that year. He declared a state of emergency, asked Trump for federal assistance, and then this is where you had the battle between him and Trump, where, you know, him and the, the other liberals wanted to preach, you know, environmental this, environmental that. And coming from somebody who has an intermediate knowledge of that uh, situation, I'm going to say this. Weather patterns do change. They become more serious and prominent. Um with that being said, though, you know, weather patterns can change naturally. And sometimes it is kind of man-made caused and all that. Blah, 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 blah. But these are just natural things. And there's, there's plenty of years where there's more fire, more, you know, wildfires than others. And that could just be a natural thing. That's just happened naturally. That's happened. That's occurred all throughout California history. So, again, you have that push there. Again, I can't say that, you know, it's all, you know, not environment environmental related but you know i couldn't claim that it all is uh same thing uh with what the Dem uh, sorry the republicans are going to tell you the republicans are going to tell you uh it's it's because of the you know the democrats they're not really taking advantage of federal spending and really doing the things to improve parks da, 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 da. bottom line is both of those stories ended up being bullshit because it came down to it pg and e was to blame uh, we, you know, it was all mentioned throughout the media. They're down power lines that they 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 refused to fix. They didn't want to have nothing to do because they weren't really auditing their own systems, checking on their own systems. Now, here's where your boy would would play some more games. Now, he accepted some some uh, let's call it like it is call it a bribe uh, or donations uh, from PG&E themselves to change the California Public Utilities Commission decision on their license. And this will go on to save them billions of dollars in terms of not having to do, go through certain protocols. Again, leading to another similar situation because, again, they didn't have to really rectify shit. But there we go. Uh, he's also, you know, created the California Wildfire Fund uh, in which California residents, along with, of course, these PG&E, these other you know, public utilities companies, uh, they provide an insurance. Well, they pay into an insurance fund uh, for when those those companies fuck up and created another disaster like a wildfire. Well, for wildfires, when they fuck up and and make a wildfire due to their negligence or whatever, we gotta pay into that insurance too. So again, I think there's a couple things to be kind of mad about. As far as I see, what could happen. I don't think uh, daily wows people enough to really to really cause headway. Uh, he was second place in the blanket primary for the state. He finished in second place with just seventeen percent of the vote. So that ought to tell you something. 
Are, is California, does California want a different governor or a different type of government in terms of, you know, conservative, whatever, in certain sections? If you go to certain counties in Eastern California, it's nothing but red. Certain counties in Southern California, same thing. However, with that being said, though, they're not the most popular, you know, places, the populist places. So at the end of the day, the more populous places, the places who carry, you know, a lot of the California vote, vote blue. So until the Bay Area, and I would say really not even the Bay Area because it's not even as populous as L.A. and those counties. So until L.A. County decides to flip and go red, you probably won't see a red a, 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 a Republican government governor that soon. The Bay Area, you know, they could probably flip and 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 really, you know, make things funny and wonky too. But again, a bigger those bigger counties are going to have to really switch over for that to be for that to happen. I don't see that happening in this election. And the thing about the Democrats is, outside of Gavin Newsom, who else do they have though? You know, what I mean? and I think people, I think the the Gavin Newsom thing is a little bit stale. I think it might even be time for a new guy, even for y'all, even for the Democrats. So, you know. It is what it is. Red versus blue. It's the same old story. Uh, you know, that's how we, that's how it is. All right, y'all. I'm going to take my first break. And when we come back, I'll be breaking down some football news. And I'll go from there. All right, y'all. I'll be right back. All right, y'all. We are going to get into some football for a little bit. And uh, we're going to start off with some college football. And uh, there's a couple of headlines I wanted to get into. A couple... Um, it's a couple sad ones, actually. So uh, before we get into everything else, I wanted to talk about two players that have recently passed away within about a day or so of each other. First up, we have freshman running back uh, Camden McWright out of San Jose State University. He was struck by a school bus earlier uh, this morning around 7.30. Now, he is riding an electrical scooter and appeared that the bus had a red light or a green light. And apparently there was some type of collision, although there's still going to be some type of investigation to kind of figure everything out. It's a little bit weird how all that played out. But again, he was struck by the bus. And of course, he ended up immediately dying on the scene on the scene. And the cold part is he recently played his first college football game last weekend against UNLV. So uh, just a reminder that life is way too short. Uh accomplish what you can now handle your business now and you know so you don't have to feel you know you don't have to feel so negative or you don't have to feel you know any type of bearing weight on you you just kind of just live in life because you don't know when it's gonna you know end so try to do the best things possible also like i said another passing another freshman which is really you know even weirder uh, offensive tackle Sam West, uh, Westmoreland out of Mississippi State. He was found outside of a Starkville church. Now the cause of death is the cause of death is still yet to be confirmed. So you know we got some issues here with this one. They don't even know you know what happened to this guy. He just ends up dead at this church. Of course, uh, you know any reports will come out soon, and you know. I'll try to get to the bottom and at that bottom of it at that point. But, you know, again, just, you know, these guys are still young. Uh, both of these guys are 18 years old. Westmoreland was days away from his 19th birthday. So, you know, just kind of keep that in mind. Sometimes life can go at the blink of an eye. 
So, you know, it's it's best that we, you know, be conscious, be aware of what we're doing. And again, you know, I don't want to sound like a broken record. I'm pretty sure we've heard this before, but live life to the fullest, to the best that you can. So moving on, we do have some conference notes here uh, coming from the Pac-12. Uh, we have a big time matchup this weekend uh, between number 10, Oregon, I believe number, no, sorry, number nine, UCLA and number 10, Oregon. Oregon comes comes into this one, five and one, three and oh in conference play. Uh, UCLA is undefeated overall with six wins. They're also, uh, of course, undefeated in conference play as well. For Oregon, they're coming off, of course, five wins in a row since the ugly debacle uh, in Atlanta uh, against Georgia, we've been able to right the ship. Uh, we're averaging 42 points per game, seven yards a play. Bo Nix is a big, huge part of that. Uh, over 1,500 yards to the air, 12 uh, touchdowns. Uh, he also has 331 rushing yards, eight touchdowns on the ground. Now, you know, his best, you know, assets coming into this game, of course, is going to be Tony Franklin, who has 27 receptions on the year. Chase Coda has 19. I think he even got Chris Hust, uh, Hudson up there. What about 14? Now, UCLA does rank 91st versus the pass. Uh, so, again, that's something that the Ducks can exploit. Uh, the offensive line has just given up one sack all this season. I'm Probably certain. No, actually, I think that was against Washington State. So, if I'm not mistaken, so it wasn't even against Georgia. So, again, we've been that part of our offense has been playing great pretty much all uh, all season long. They've also uh, been pretty much solid uh, in terms of helping the running game. They anchor a running attack that averages 6.2 yards a play. That leads to Pac-12. If I'm not mistaken, uh, Bucky Irving uh, has about over 600 yards. That's our leading rusher. Uh, but you have multiple running backs who's uh, who's put in some put in some work this year. And again, you have a lot. Uh, you know, a lot of that. You know, we can give thanks to the offensive line for that. Now, the key matchup Saturday will be pretty much in the trenches with UCLA uh, having a front that is, um, you know, pretty much, it has 15 sacks and is also second in the conference versus the run. So they're, you know, they're versatile. They can get after the quarterback, of course. They can actually shut you down uh, using their interior alignment. So that's going to be an important factor as well for UCLA. Uh, for them offensively, they scored 40 points in their first five games of this uh, season five of their first six games uh they've also had three 500 plus yards game 500 plus yard games now they're also third in the conference on third down conversions and also plays um the 40 yards or more with 10. now this is a key stat here that third down uh, conversion stat because i mentioned last week uh in that well sorry maybe a couple weeks back at this point uh in that arizona state sorry that arizona blowout that although we looked good, uh, the Wildcats were pretty good on third down. They had a good percentage. I, I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but I remember mentioning that, you know, of course, you know, that wasn't a good sign, necessarily a great sign, because again, uh, we're gonna be playing against some better offenses who can not only, you know, they can convert, you know, pretty well on third down, but also they're gonna have that danger behind them because they'll, they're a potent offense. They're more likely to score than Arizona was. So again, Arizona, you know, they converted on a good number of third downs but again they just couldn't keep up with our defense and, and really truly uh make us pay for that ucla basically is what i'm saying is, is 
pretty much can make us do that, particularly if they can just keep, you know, converting on third downs, particularly later in the game. Now, Dorian Thompson, uh, Robinson, uh, of course, we've mentioned him so many different times here. 74% uh, percent completion percentage, 9.3 yards per attempt. Uh, he's actually... Uh, has the best passer rate in the Pac-12 right now with 180.6. Uh, he also has two receivers with almost 30 catches, including Jake Bobo and Casimir Allen. So again, he'll be relying on his receivers as well. He's also effective in the running game. Uh, he and Zach Carbonet average 5.5 yards uh, carry or an attempt. Uh, Charbonnet leads the team on the ground with 615 rushing yards. However, the Ducks do have the best defense in the rush versus the rush in the conference, allowing just 3.6 seven yards per attempt so that's going to be another again uh, the trenches the battle in the trenches for both sides is going to be very important so Oregon's O-line versus UCLA's defensive line and then vice versa uh, UCLA's offensive line versus Oregon's defensive line two uh, you know that right there is going to be the key right there now Oregon does struggle against the pass they're ninth in the conference uh, in terms of pass defense and they also struggle like I mentioned converting on well at least you know getting teams off the field on third down they allow 50 percent so that's you know that's not really that good so that could be a factor going in ucla's favor i think for the ducks uh it's going to come down to key you know can they can they get ucla off the field on third down particularly in the second half that's what Oregon's gonna have to do. So it's gonna have to be tackling. It's gonna be have to. It's gonna have to be making certain plays. Like you're gonna have to knock a pass away. You're gonna have to force a fumble, force an interception on some of those on some of those third downs. Something you have to do something to get them off the field. You know, and really you know get yourself rest. Uh, I I think you know uh, weather is going to be a factor. If I'm not mistaken, it's gonna be rainy tomorrow. But again, remember it doesn't rain at Austin Stadium for all my you know. It's an inside thing, if you know, you know. But in any, but anyways, I think you know the rain should have an effect on it. I personally believe that if uh, the rain is playing, it's playing somewhat of a, of effect tomorrow, which it should. I think it's going to be a more running oriented game, and I think that does favor Oregon because you have to remember they are at least three running backs deep, if I'm not mistaken. Who can you know? You have at least three running backs who can get you know catches, sorry, or uh, get uh, attempts, and you know do something now uh of course irving he leads all the guys in terms of rushing yards but you have a couple uh, you have like one short yardage guy and i think james uh he breaks off the big play so you have a good little mixture there and i also you gotta remember bo nix who scores pretty much from anywhere on the field with his can score from anywhere on the field with his legs so again we have three or up to four legitimate ball carriers for the ducks as opposed to just two for ucla I would have to go in the Bucks in I uh, sorry with the Ducks in that department. However, you know, if it comes down to making some sort of passing plays, I would go with Dorian Thompson Robinson in that regard because he's just a little bit more of an accurate quarterback. And I just seen that, you know, when Knicks is forced to do a whole lot of passing it's in some cases and there's a pressure there's a lot of pressure in his face that's when you might see a couple turnovers so those might be key 
I don't want to see Bo Nix taking too many shots that he doesn't need to take, particularly with pressure coming after him. That's usually when he seems to be a little bit uh, erratic in terms of his, uh, you know, his his uh, his accuracy. Uh, as far as defense goes, both of them do not really have great passing defense. So again, there is a there is a chance for both of these quarterbacks really to make plays uh, through the air. But again, I think the running games are going to be important. Again, for the Ducks defensively, they need to get UCLA off the field. And for UCLA, I think you're going to have to force uh, force Knicks to throw the ball a lot and see if you can force some interceptions. I think it's going to come down to you know who has the ball last, who's been able to generate some type of momentum going into the end and kind of seize on that. I think the winner of this game either wins by a touchdown or even two. It's going to be somewhat convincing uh, uh, ending for who, for the whomever, whomever the winner is because they're going to have to do a few things that really take the game into their favor. So um, I don't really go for predictions per se. I just kind of map it out and kind of tell you guys what you should be looking for. You know how I do this. <laughs> so as far as uh, some other top 25, actually, before we get into some more top 25 matchups, I did want to take a look at the tw- the Pac-12 standings just real quick to kind of put you guys into a better idea of what's going on. Uh, as far as uh, who's ranked first, we have Oregon and UCLA here, of course, both 3-0. and uh, UC- Sorry, USC uh, took a loss last week, so they're in third place in the conference. Four and one in conference play right now. Rob receiver Jordan Addison and also Eric Gentry, uh, their top linebacker, are listed as day to day on the injury report. They are suffering through some late injuries, uh, but they have a relatively easy schedule coming up. They're going to be at Arizona. Then they have two home games versus Cal and Colorado. They're still averaging forty points per game on offense. A pretty solid defense, if I'm not mistaken, a defense that's given up sub twenty points. So uh, they should be all right. And as far as this week is concerned. This is a bye week for them. Uh, so, again, they got those two guys got some extra time to rest. It might not even be as though they even really missed any time. They sh- they might even be ready to go uh, versus Arizona, if for all we know. So, don't look into it too much. USC, you know, they're looking to right the ship since that, that loss to, to, to Utah. I think for them, they, they can, and they're still... I would say, you know, for what it's worth, I don't like them like that, but they're still a threat. I'm just going to keep it real. Uh, let's move on to Oregon State. They are 2-2. Two two. Their last game was a win, 24-10 versus Washington State. Uh, currently, they're averaging 31 points a game. Uh, they're giving up 24. So, you know, again, they can score some points, but they're going to give up some. They're 24th. Sorry, they're 60, 64th in scoring defense, 51st in total defense. So, again, the defense, it started off pretty good this year. But it slowed down a little bit. They've been giving up some big plays, a lot of points in the last couple of weeks. So they're still trying. They're obviously still trying to figure things out here. Uh, and offensively, of course, uh, things have have been up and down there as well. Although there's been some slight improvements in points per game averages. Uh, but Chance Nolan is going to be out again this week. They do face off against Colorado. They could. They. Sh- they. Sh- well, I know they're favored to be the, to to get the win, but again. They leave a lot to be desired defensively, so you kind of don't know. Colorado is is feeling them, you know, might should come in here feeling some type of momentum, getting their first one of the year last, uh, first one of the year last week. So they should come in there a little bit excited. It might be an interesting game, but again, Oregon State should be the favorite going into that one. Behind them, we have Washington State at two and two. Cal is at one and two behind them. Arizona State is at one and two. We also got Colorado here. We just mentioned them one and two uh, in conference play, one and five overall. Washington State has um, 
We've fallen off a bit. They're one and three in conference play right now. Uh, they've gone two and three in their past five after their big win against Wisconsin. And they've been struggling offensively, uh, just averaging about 24 points a game right now, uh, 13.6 on the road struggling uh 97th in scoring right now nationally so again that's played a good factor into it nobody has really been able to uh step up you know and again they've had some really they had some really great games earlier this year uh cameron ward looked great in that oregon game i believe about three touchdowns something like that uh nakia watson looked solid in that game in the game a couple weeks before that of course against wisconsin but since then you know they've they've definitely fallen off now at the bottom of the conference we have Arizona at one and three, and of course Stanford at zero and four. They two and four overall. Uh, they did end up beating uh, Notre Dame last week for some reason, though sixteen to fourteen. I don't know how that happened. Uh, they're currently third. They have the they currently have the third worst turnover margin uh, in the nation. And if and if he isn't now, then David Shaw should definitely uh, be on the chopping block, or at least have his seat warmed up to a bit uh, at this point. But let's move on. Like I said, we have some top 25 matchups to kind of uh, analyze a little bit, kind of predict, just to, to an extent. Um, first things first, we have an ACC matchup against number 14, Syracuse, and also number 5, Clemson. Both teams are undefeated. Syracuse has six wins. Clemson has seven. For Clemson, uh, this is their f this well, they're going for their fifth straight win uh, over Syracuse. Uh, they've scored over 30 points or more in the last six games. Uh, and this year, uh, their offense is pretty much being headlined by Will Shipley, of course, outside of DJ Wongale. But he has 703 total yards from scrimmage and also eight touchdowns tied Davis Allen and also Jake Bren, uh, Brennan Stool uh, help out, particularly along the red zone with eight total, sorry, seven total catches, sorry, seven total touchdown catches between them, 32 overall receptions uh, combined. Uh, as far as uh, Syracuse defense is concerned, uh, they come into this matchup first in the conference in terms of points allowed. Uh, they're also first against the pass and against the run. Uh, they also have the eighth best eighth best defense in the country i know a lot of people are going to want to go with clemson in this one uh they're going to want to say clemson has a talent to win out and i think that's that's a fair point but i do believe that um a lot of these pieces that were with syracuse uh they are experienced pieces they were on a team last year that really took uh, Clemson to the limit and might even be able to, in my opinion, if there's going to be an upset, uh, it might be this one, uh, a key Syracuse, a key for Syracuse, uh, that they're going to try to exploit or they should be exploiting is Clemson secondary. They rank 12th versus the pass. Are they going to, they're going to have some guys coming back healthy this week, but they're still near the bottom of that conference in terms of, you know, defending the pass quarterback Garrett Trader, uh, has completed over 69% of his passes, 12 to three touchdown and interception ratio. So look for for that to play a factor as well and it's not like they don't have a you know this it's not like they don't have a decent running game because they do so you couple that a balanced offense with a very solid defense in a couple of different stats and you just have a Clemson defense here that's okay offensively but also has a you know very subpar you know secondary you can talk about talent all you want to I'm gonna just outright say it upset alert Upset alert. Yes, the game, uh, the uh, Clemson is going to be hosting this one, but Syracuse is going to come to play. They've been playing this team, this team pretty tough the last few years. I think they want it more. I think they might be able to smack somebody tomorrow, but that's me. 
that's me. Uh, but let's move on. We have a Big 12 matchup between number 20, Texas, and Oklahoma State. Uh, Oklahoma State is, of course, ranked number 11. Texas is ranked, of course, like I said, 20. Uh, both of them come in here with five wins. Texas has two losses. Oklahoma State just has the one. I think they suffered that last week in overtime to TCU. Big matchup here with the Texas running backs going up against the uh, Oklahoma State defensive line. Now, the Texas backs last week, Bijan Robinson and uh, Rashawn Johnson were going to combine for over 200 yards last week versus Iowa State. Uh, with that being said, though, the Cowboys uh, defensive tackles are, are averaging about nine about nine tackles for loss a game. So uh, they're, they're penetrating. Uh, they're getting behind the lines, which is, and, and you know, of course, clogging up gaps. These are all things that disrupt a running game. So the question is, one of the big questions is, can that, can Oklahoma State's defense match up against Texas's front seven? But it really, the true question is, is Spencer Sanders uh, playing tomorrow? He's going to have a lot to do with what they can do offensively. Uh, he was really hemmed up last week versus TCU, and it affected him. I think he only had about six points, was responsible for about six points or helped him only could get, well, he helped them to about just six points in the second half of last week's game, so it was a struggle for him. Uh, if he can play, that definitely boosts their chances, although, you know, it could still go either way because Texas has a solid quarterback too. Uh, but again, it, without him, I don't think it would be that close between you and me. I think that's this is probably one of the few blowouts you might see tomorrow in the top 25. Uh, we also, finally, we got uh, Alabama uh, meeting up against uh, your boys, Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State, of course, my dark horse for the SEC, at least the SEC West, uh, comes into this one ranked number 24 at 5-2. Of course, Bama suffered one of uh, their first loss of the season last week to Tennessee. They come into this one 6-1. and one. Uh, Now... Um, Mississippi State and Will Rogers will look to take advantage of what uh, the weaknesses Hendon Hooker and Tennessee exposed last week. Now, you know, Alabama, for what it's worth, we've made so much about Will Anderson and certain guys on that team. They're still near the bottom of the pack in their conference versus the pass. Uh, and uh, coming into this one, Rogers has averaged about 330 yards per game at a 71% clip. However, he would just have 203 uh, yards last week versus Kentucky. Now, the question is, is Kentucky's passing defense better than Alabama's? Everybody's going to want to say Alabama's defense is better overall for certain you know, metrics and certain stat categories, and I think that might be fine, uh, but again... You know, they suck against the pass this season. And let's be honest, we were Rodgers and the air raid offenses uh, tend to expose weaker secondaries. It's just the way that it is. It's matchups. Uh, so, you know, that's just what that's just what they do. Now, the Bulldogs have scored uh, touchdowns on 15 straight trips in the end zone. And here's another is there another interesting fact. They've also outscored their opponents 66 to seven in the first quarter. Now, is that possible versus Alabama? We don't, maybe, depending on, you know, what that uh, pass rush is looking like, what those corners are looking like. Uh, the corners were really exposed last week. And again, this is another uh, situation where 
uh, we've we've uh, another uh, situation here. It's kind of similar to the the Clemson game, where a lot of people are going to come in this one saying Alabama has a lot more talent. Alabama should be able to get this win. But I'm a little bit like I don't know if Mississippi State can start off early and score at least first. I would say score first and maybe four. I would say score two touchdowns, maybe even three in the first quarter. That might that might change the complexion of that game. Uh, if if Alabama is able to get some pressure on. Rodgers uh, disrupt that a little bit if their secondary can come alive uh, you know you know they could they could maybe blow this team out but as it's looking I think this game could go either way with both teams scoring a lot of points because again uh, Bama didn't really show up you know defensively last week but the offense was still there uh, of course they averaged about 45 yards per game on 513 yards uh as well so again they're there they, i mean they can do the damn thing in terms of scoring the question is can that defense somehow you know get get motivated I and mean, again and that's what people are hoping for because again alabama comes in this one as the favorite but we'll have to we'll have to wait and see i i think this one is going to be interest an interesting matchup alabama could lose uh two in a row for the first time in a long time but I, i'm gonna put a slight upset alert on that one just be on notice i'm not saying this is gonna be an outright upset but just be on notice now let's move on to the nfl we're gonna wrap this up real quick starting off with some thursday night football of course the cardinals they get it done 34 to uh, 30 sorry 42 to 34 they move it three and four in a year the saints are two and five uh for the saints andy dalton was under center three of 30 of 47 361 yards four touchdowns to three picks alvin kamar did all he could on the ground but it wasn't a lot 41 yards from him chris alave the rookie is showing out uh, really a solid performance. Uh, seven catches for 107 yards. Jawan Johnson will get you two touchdown passes, and even Taysom Hill would try to help out as well. Uh, he would score a, he would catch a touchdown pass. And defensively, Cam Jordan will be the highlight for them. Uh, six total tackles and a sack. Now the defense didn't play too bad. Uh, they kept uh, Arizona to about I think it was one and ten on third down or three and ten on third down, something like that. Uh, they did, like I said, they they forced a few sacks. They didn't play terrible. But again, when you're giving up three or four, well, at least three extra uh, possessions through turnovers, that being the Saints offense, that's kind of what happens. You give this team a little bit, you give these teams more opportunity to score. But Kyler Murray would go 20 of 29 for 204 yards. He would score a touchdown. Eno Benjamin, uh, he would have 92 yards in the round and also a touchdown. DeAndre Hopkins, I think this was his return. Uh, 10, 10 catches from him, 103 yards. And Zayvon Collins would show up on defense with nine total tackles. Tackles, and also Antonio Hamilton will show up with six total tackles and an interception. Now the biggest headline, of course, is coming from, I guess it was involving San Francisco and you know, of course, Carolina. Carolina is getting the position where they just let go of Matt Rule, and looks to it looks to me as if they're about to rebuild this motherfucker. They just traded away Robbie Anderson. They're looking to make some changes. Uh, they, uh, for S, uh, sorry, for San Francisco, they end up trading a second round pick for the next season, or at least 2023, the, the 2023 draft. They, they trade their second round pick. They also trade a third round pick and a fourth round pick for that draft, as well as a fifth round pick for 2024, all for Christian McCaffrey. Uh, now, Christian McCaffrey, uh, he was selected eighth overall about five, six seasons ago. Uh, he's one of the fastest players to reach 3,000 rushing and 3,000 receiving yards. But the, the thing about him the last couple of seasons, at least 2020 and 2021, is that he's been dealing with injuries. He's only been around for about 10 whole games. But this season, uh, he's been pretty much around 
you know, a lot more. Of course, 85, accounting for 85% of Carolina's total offensive snaps. Uh, he's, he has about 300 yards, almost 400 yards on the season, two touchdowns. So he's definitely improved. I think he uh, hits a backfield in San Francisco that does need an infusion of talent. He can catch a little bit too. So there's some uh, dynamicism there or however you want to say it. Uh, so again, I think they pick up a good asset. You know, again, with all the things that they can do with players offensively, particularly those who can do more than one thing, hybrid players, if you want to call them that. I think San Francisco made the right decision here. He's still, I mean, again, he has some tread. Uh, he has some injury history. But, again, you, you get some other solid backs around him, kind of get a committee thing going. You make sure he doesn't get all the carries. I don't think he's a workhorse back, definitely. Uh, but I think they can make it work. I definitely think he adds something a little bit different there. And he still had, well, he's definitely come around from his injuries. So I'm going to take a quick break. Y'all, when we get back, we're breaking down the MLB playoffs. Of course, we are in the midst of the ALCS and the NLCS. So I'll be breaking down all the games from that. And then we're wrapping, we'll be wrapping everything up for tonight. All right, y'all. I'll be right back. 